We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yes, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Dayas, at Nick Dayas 10 is where you can find me. VeteransMinimum.com is where you can find all things VM. And I have a special guest in the building, one of Blue Wire's very own, one of my favorite people. I don't know if I ever told you this, bro, but I, I was a fan of you and Andreas for a minute. And then when I first got with Blue Wire, one of the first people that Kevin Jones had told me about being a part of Blue Wire was Andreas. And then when I saw all the content you guys were doing, I started like listening. So I've been a been a fan of your work too, bro. Man, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's always nice to come in when we do our combat stuff and have someone, you know, to bounce ideas off of and just having that influence before our shows. And we we have conversations on the betting tip that gets my mind moving like before our shows. And it's like, all right, like I was thinking just a couple of weeks ago when it was like, you always do your subs. For all this card, and I was like, yeah, this one's going to hit. So I was like, I had to mention, like, the whole rundown with the submissions that day. So it's like one of those things where as well-versed as me and Andreas are, and we've been journalists in the combat sports realm for so long, the betting aspect of it is still so different to the point of training your mind to think in that aspect of things. Because so much of what we do is who's better. Mm. Looking through tape, we've seen all these fights. Who's going to win? But sometimes in the in the betting realm, that doesn't even matter. It's how do they win? Or, you know, where can I find the people who are just vulnerable right here? So it, it's a train of thinking that it's always dope. And I appreciate what you do like every week because that analytical mind towards everything in all sports it's just like, yo, that's a, it's a dope way of thinking and going about the sports. And that's how really trends are picked up. Mm. The trends come from, no surprise, the betting lines and betting everything. We see the NCAA tournament, all this stuff. So a lot of people fill out their brackets based on who's ranked. The betters are closer than anyone in this tournament. Just because you can follow the lines and be like, well, this upset was an upset, but it wasn't that cra- crazy for betters because the line saw what it was. So those people are ahead of a curve in your mind automatically, things like that. So it's dope to always watch and to listen. Dude, I love that you mentioned that because I couldn't agree with you more. Like there, there's 
it's always been a conversation when it comes to sports that I always was fascinated about from a young age. Like, yeah, A team is better than B team, but are they eight and a half points better, right? How important is that extra half point? And looking at it from that landscape has always been fascinating to me. And when it comes to combat sports, it's one of those things where you can get such a big edge because we always hear the old cliche styles make fights, yep. right? Grappler versus striker. Well, when that happens is I hate betting a minus 300 favorite. We see that a lot. To me, I, I'll, I'd rather take an L taking someone that's a minus 400 favorite and take them to win by, you know, by finish at plus 120. Yeah. Find some value there, that betting buzzword value, as opposed to laying minus 400. I just won't do it. And if they lose, if they win and it's a decision, I lose my bet, so be it. But I always like finding those different angles. And, you know, you have, you have so many fighters. I mean, you can name a ton of fighters where they have... They're 20 and three, but 18 of the 20 wins are by knockout. Yeah. I'm probably going to bet them by knockout, right? As opposed to bet them to just so, win that fight. You know how many people made money off of Charles Oliveira in his career? Like, it's just like, yeah, well, this fight's going to be a finish. Yeah. And it's just like, all right, like, we kind of know what we're going to get. If you just pick it by finish, you'll be pretty okay in any way you go. So it's one of those things where it's like, you dig just that little bit deeper. There's a whole different level of analysis to sports where for so, for so much like me growing up, um, stats were the biggest thing. And it's just like baseball, same way, advanced analytics and all these different things. It's like, that's cool, player-to-player -player basis. And when you look at MMA, boxing, yeah, the stats are great. This guy lands this amount of jabs. All, but the betting angles of things, and he was this big of a favorite in this fight, then this big in this fight, like that shows me a little bit more of the growth of a fighter because it's like, all right, he dominated this guy and his jab is, is great, but he's always a plus 600 against these guys. What did he do when it was kind of a pick -em mm. on a fight, you know, like, or if he's whenever the guy's super talented is Terrence Crawford's a great example. Like Crawford's always a huge favorite. I'm like, all right, but what does he do? When the fight is closer, the odds are closer. Those fights tend to go longer. So, yeah, he stops people, in which he stopped everyone at welterweight. Sean Porter went 10 and a half. You look at Benavidez, when you fought him, who was still talented, his knee was a little blown. That went 11. So it's like, yeah, Crawford's going to finish these people. But when the line is closer, he finishes them 10, 11, 12. When the line is shorter, you look at when he fights Amir Khan or someone like that. Yeah, he'll finish him in three or four. So now you can bet differently based on the lines to go with those stats. Instead of looking and be like, yeah, he finishes everyone at welterweight. What does it really say? So like adding that component is a game changer. Yeah, it, ch it, changes, it changes everything, man. And I think a, a cool example, because we're both big UFC fans, and I would love for you to tell the audience about the corner, because I love how you guys break down the corner with every episode being something specific that you guys care about which is super dope. But we saw, if we go back a couple of weeks, uh, Fazeev, right? Yep. Going up against Gaethje. I, I went into that fight, truthfully, and I bet Fazeev by knockout because I feel like Gaethje, man, when that chin goes, it's going to end bad, right? Like it's going to be one of those like Donald Cerrone kind of Tony Ferguson where it's going to be shots that years ago he would just eat. But he's, anytime a guy is built off their chin, Kel, I'm always like, man, 
I have a theory, dude, where if you tell me that a fighter's strongest asset is that they're tough, I'm like, mm. it's he's a different beast. Yeah, because like we just in boxing, we just had David Benavidez, but they're very similar. Benavidez is way younger, but you look at that stat, kind of like Triple G in boxing. Toughness is great, and and the chin is amazing, but what sets them apart is the pressure. When the feet slow down, mm. then it's over for Gaethje. That's true. Good, good comp. The, the, the feet are still going. Yeah. So if he wants to not be hit for any reason, he's shown lately that he doesn't have to get hit. When he wants to stand in trade, he's like, my chin is still going to hold up. And sooner or later, that's not going to be the case. But the feet can get you in and out in those pockets where you're like, oh, he's dazed. And then he'll, he still has the footwork and the quickness to get in and out. Someone who lost that in MMA is Cody Garbrandt. Yes. The feet went. It, it wasn't only the chin. The chin was, was pretty poor but after yo, you a know, while. You but know, you he know, can't escape when he does get robbed. Yeah, you know what else it is about a guy like Cody? I feel like he strikes me as a dude, and the way he fights, he strikes me as a dude that's had wars in the gym. And then when it, when it caught up to him in the cage... I feel like he's still someone that probably spars hard, like every day. My thing, an alpha male, they, they were known for having hard camps when Uriah was at his peak. That was when Cody was at his peak, right? I guess that does catch up to you. To me in combat sports, and I, I've said this on my show, The Corner and everything, there's a, a drastic difference in combat sports between taking PEDs in a combat sport and someone taking PEDs in a baseball, a basketball, something like that. Oh, without question. And I don't even uh, know what your take is. I'm sure you're going to get to it. But I feel like if you take PEDs in a combat sport, you can physically do harm to someone. And what TJ Dillashaw did to Cody Garbrandt cannot be rewound. Yeah. It can't. Um, as great as Manny Pacquiao was in boxing, he fought Marquez that fourth time. Marquez was a whole different animal physically. Um, and he got knocked out. He ran into it. And then from that point on, Manny didn't have another knockout stoppage. Like he went this one, bro. Like it changes you how you fight mentally, everything. When you look at Cody Garbrandt, it changed him emotionally on how he fights. And with, I mean, TJ got suspended, all this stuff, whatever, but you can never take that back. What he did to Hen and Burrell. Mm. You can never take back what he did to, it, to Cody, there's, there's just so many examples of when he was mollywhopping these guys because of that. And that confidence of, oh, I watched film on this guy. I've seen him before. Many people had. He wasn't this good. And look what he did to me. Yeah. I don't think I'm that good anymore. And it's like, no, bro. Like he's, He just did something to make him that much better. But he wasn't the TJ Dillashaw that fought, I think, Demetrius Johnson on their way up before he moved up. Like, before the Hen and Burrell fight, something changed. I mean, he's failed test after that. Right. Came back, tore everything in his arm. Like, that happens when you take PEDs and your body breaks down. So, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, there was a, a certain switch that clicked. And we can kind of guess what it is. Chel Sonnen talks about this all the time. Where it's just like, yeah, I was on it. I can tell when other people were on it. He, I can tell when someone's just fighting out of their mind. And to me, like, we focus so much on people who fail to test and everything. We don't focus enough on the people they fought 
before they got caught and the toll it takes on those people. So Cody Garbrandt, we just saw him dance around the octagon. He still has a contract, but he's never going to be the same. He's like yeah. 28, 29 years old. And that was kind of taken from him. And we've seen that. And unfortunately, whether it's been tested, proven, or talk in the background or whatever, that this person was on this, this person was on that. We, we've seen the ramifications of this. You just see someone, you know, people aren't the same after fighting these guys when they're blown up like that. So Cody Garbrandt, to me, is an unfortunate situation, but he ran into TJ Dillashaw at the wrong time. And TJ owes him money. That, that's what I would say. Like, yo, Cardi, I don't know what to tell you. I would sue him for everything he's worth because, like, I was that guy. Yeah. Then you beat me juiced up. For real. You and altered, I've never been the same. You altered my career. Crazy amount of money. Yeah. Altered because I now, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the, you. Because also now the price for him... And especially if we, you know, because uh, one of the topics I want to talk to you about is like MMA judging. And uh, it kind of coincides with what we're talking about now because all these guys fight at 135. Yep. It was a big main event over the weekend, Corey Sanhagen and Marlon Vera. That was a five-round decision. I, uh, I set the bar very high for that fight. I thought fight of the year. It kind of was a little lackluster. But I also think you got to give a lot of flowers to Corey Sanhagen for Vera was just not able to figure him out. Yeah. All the dancing around and all the feints and the switching of the stances. Like Corey, I think is, he's been the dark horse in that division for me for a while. And even when he stumbled against Sterling, like, I don't know about you, but certain guys, when they lose to certain fighters, like that, that aged well, right? Like you yeah. lost to Sterling the way you did. And now this dude has just been molly whopping to use your phrase from a couple, couple of moments ago, everybody else in that yep. division, it just makes that look a lot stronger, right? And then when you're looking at the 135 division, if that doesn't happen to Garbrandt, maybe he's still floating in that. Maybe he's not the champion, but he's still a, a top five or he's a, a, a main eventer as opposed to feature prelim on the pay-per-view where he was fighting a guy on, what, three or four losses in a row, Trevin Jones was? Yeah. Five-star Jones? Like, yep. It was basically, to use the wrestling term, it was like a loser leaves town match, in my <laughs> 100%. opinion. So... The issue is not only like the PEDs, which is a big topic, and there's always like a lot of funky shit, like Volkanovski and Islam are going back and forth about it, and Dan Hooker came out about some sketchy shit going yeah. down in Australia. But the big issue and the elephant in the room is always the judging. Bro, I feel like I watch every, I watch every event, I watch every fight. Uh, it gives me a reason to stay in on a Saturday night and not go blow money, even though I'm fucking parlay and yeah. so it's like i think right. i'll spend more money staying home than it would be if i met up with kellen andreas to get some beers but the judging dude and the reason why i say i watch every fight is even the fights that i don't have money on it's like i i get a good idea of like all right that's a 29 28 i bet vera to win by decision and i was like ah oh, cory won this 5-0 i was like if if you had it 49, 46, I'd be like, you know what? Okay. Cool. 4-1 is okay. But bro, I go and I start doing the dishes and they announce the judge's name. So you immediately, you know, it's going to be a split. And I just look up and I go, stop. I was like, yo, are they going to give me a gift? I was like, is this going to be an extended birthday gift a couple weeks later? And uh, they rule it 48, 47 for Vera. And then the other judge comes 50, 45, and then 49, 46. It drives me crazy when judges see it that drastic. 
if it was if it was 48 47 48 47 47 48 i'd be like you know what man cool it, it's close enough but bro when it's 5-0 and then you have a 3-2 the other way Kel, it drives me crazy so mma is so different than even a sport like boxing so I, thankfully through my job at espn i've now for the past three years get a different perspective on these fights when i cover fights it's now either in boxing from the apron i shoot like through my phone for social media or for mma i shoot through the cage they have like a little bench we look through the cage we shoot um so i was at the john jones event was actually my last one pay-per-view here so when i watch these fights I'm, i understand a little more on how quick the judges have to score these things and then I also understand how different judges look for different things, and that becomes the problem. So, can you give me an example? Of course. So, in, in baseball, there's a strike zone, pretty much nipples to knees. Right. Now, Aaron Judge's strike zone is a little, you know, if a ball is strike, you know, it's a little outside this way, it's a little outside that way, but there's a strike zone. Every ump knows what to look for. In MMA, Every different category is its own strike zone. And then not only do they tell you to look for, is this a ball or a strike? Is this significant strike or is this miss or anything? No, now you have to judge which one is more important to you than that, than the, than the last one. So kicks are their own strike zone. Okay, did he land that kick? Was that kick checked? Mm. Did this kick to the body do damage? Was it a the equivalent of a jab, or was it a significant strike? Did he block in time for the head kick? If the rule is if your forearm goes and it touches your head or your ear, it pretty much landed. I mean, bro, if, I don't know if, if you don't ever, roll with it, then it doesn't yeah, count. I don't know if you've ever like held pads for anyone or if you've done any sort of combat training. Oh. I've held pads and dudes are throwing kicks and it ricochets it and it hits, bro. So, so even when people, like when you watch fights with people and, and a guy throws a head kick and he puts his arm up and it hits the arm, they're like, oh, he blocked this. Like, bro, he might have broke his forearm. <laughs> and there's no pad on that. There's no pad. That's so, no bone. So judges are now looking for that. And then it's like, okay, cool. Now there's a whole different strike zone that you have to judge, which are normal strikes, punches. So different levels, is this punch a jab or a glancing blow or like John Jones, a blinding blow, or is it a significant strike? All right, cool. Now you're looking for that. Now you got to judge takedowns. Was this a takedown? How long do they have to hold them on the ground for it to be a takedown? What kind of impact too? I take you down, you shoot back up. Does That's, it even matter? Yep. Then now the next thing is once you get the takedown, now we have to judge a different strike box, right? Like now it's, you have top control. What are you doing with it? What is the guy on the bottom doing, which is the biggest problem in MMA judging, if you ask me? If someone lands a takedown, kudos. But if you just get on top of someone and you're in top control and they're pummeling you with elbows from the bottom. The Tony Ferguson. Ferguson like, yeah. they're winning that exchange to yeah. me. That's, if someone's a, an amazing jujitsu practitioner and your wrestling is mediocre and you take them down, you are in more trouble than they are. Oh, yeah. Because on their back, they're fine. They're throwing up triangles and Kimuras, working around. And yeah, yeah. Like you're in a threat and they may not be. Yeah. This might be where they want to be. So Dude, the Oliveira, you, right? Yeah. Every Oliveira fight, he gets dropped and he's just like, come on. Yeah. I dare you. Justin Gaethje refused. Yeah. 
He was like, get your ass like, up. Because he knew, right? But judges right. don't see that sometimes. They'd be like, oh, you took him down and you laid on him. No, that guy might be in more of a threat if he's not trying to advance position. He's not trying to do this. So they're scoring things differently. And where do takedowns defended come in? Because if you defend a punch or check a kick, then that looks great on you in terms of stand-up. If you dodge a punch and you're just bobbing and weaving, that judge is like, man, this guy is winning these. Ex- yeah. But if you stuff five takedowns and your sprawls are great, they don't give you any credit. Which is terrible because that, that is an art in itself. It is. So it's one of those things like where does defense count? Where doesn't defense count? Because defense counts on striking when you check a kick. It counts on your boxing skills and your hand striking. If you're bobbing and weaving and Anderson silvering somebody and then you punch them, it's like, wow. Like, it all counts there. That's all style points. But why doesn't it count in grappling? Why doesn't it count in jujitsu? So it's one of those things where everything is graded so differently. And then after you get all five of those, it's like, well, now rank them. So if this person was better on the feet for the first minute and a half and he landed a ton of kicks, but then he gets taken down at the end of the round and this guy has top control for a minute and a half, but he really doesn't do anything. Now what? Mm. And it's like, well, I like the ground game more than I like the standing. So it's such a, a disparity in MMA to the point of, I'm honestly, I'm not sure if it could be corrected or if it can be corrected. The only way I would think and this is like a horrible idea probably is if everyone was a different specialist in something and you kind of like combine, at least you have a specialist for everything. Cause I think there are people who've done boxing before. I think there, there are people who've done maybe lower level club shows who understand how to judge the striking, but have never done a jujitsu tournament. Mm. They've never done a wrestling collegiate tournament or high level wrestling, Greco Roman, anything. So they don't know what looks good and what doesn't. What is control? I think all the specialists and expertise, the majority of of these people are striking specialists when they are judging these bouts. I think it'd be better to maybe diversify that. And it's okay. You can have someone who's a jiu-jitsu world-class practitioner and jiu-jitsu judge, judge striking. He can know a little bit about it, but he'll know more and have a specific area just to make you more well-rounded. That's, that's kind of in anything, right? You want to diversify everything. And I think that's, that's a huge criteria. And then I mean, that's combat sports in general, depending on where you go, the judging changes. Mm-hmm. So if you have a card in Wichita, Kansas, they're not used to high-level fights. Uh, we just saw Salt Lake City not too long ago. Like the judging there is like, ugh. They don't get a lot of high-level fights. For so long, New York judging was horrible when they, when they first started going to New York. Oh, yeah. Those first three events, people hated it. Weidman spoke out, all this stuff, because that, like that area, upstate New York, tri-state, wasn't really used to judging high-level events. They had a couple in Jersey. Yeah, it's different if you do like a high-level regional show and then you're doing UFC 212 so, or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, that it's was it's completely MSG. different, right? Yeah. So those judges are like, well, all right, I'm trying to judge the speed of these punches, but it's 10 times faster than the punches I saw last weekend at the amateur MMA event I was judging, or even the boxing match. So it's one of those things where it's so hard being regional and this being a global sport, going to Abu Dhabi, going to London, going to here, to say, like, I want 
universally good judging. The NFL travels with their refs. Yeah. The NBA travel with their refs. They, it's, we have referees here who can call the fights and they're pretty good, but judging it's so much tough. Like every region has their people. They're people who are credited by that commission and this, it makes it so hard to regulate. What about the idea of adding more judges? So you have more, you have more opinions, more eyes on it. Cause the issue that I know there's, there's been a conversation of people saying like, Oh, why not hire former fighters? Yeah. I think that's a terrible idea because you're going to have a natural bias towards someone dude. DC gets it all the time. <laughs> When someone from AKA is fighting, yeah. Bisping was getting heat for every British fighter. He was pro the British fighter. So I don't think that's the solution because I think you're going to just have, dude, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm a former fighter. I fought at 155 and uh, you and Andreas were my main training partners, yeah. right? And now I've retired for five, six years, but you're still fighting. I'm going to, I'm going to judge your fight. All right. We weren't teammates, but you helped me out in a camp. I'm going to, bro, we're, look, we're humans. We exactly. have, we have <laughs> a natural, but it's not a bad thing. It's an obvious thing, and I also think it's the right thing that you're like, yeah, bro, that's my homie. Of course, I'm going to kind of swing it a little bit for him. So I don't think that's the solution, but I do think there needs to be something done. I like that idea of having like a, you know, ADCC, IBJFF champion come and be one of those main judges for like the jujitsu. But the thing that drives me the craziest, bro, and, and I don't want to speak for you, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. You're someone that knows the sport. You do content on the sport. Oh, you get media credentials. So obviously, you know what the hell you're talking about. But when, when the judging is that off, that drives me crazy. Like, how can we? And I know you explained it, but like, bro, it's upsetting because also I have a dog in the fight. Jared Gordon's one of my good buddies. He got a decision against them where to this day, I'm still waiting for someone to tell me that Patty won that fight outside of Patty Pimbley. <laughs> Cause it's the only event that I saw the entire MMA community was like, yo, Jared won that fight. Yep. And then he ends up losing that. It, it was controversial, but it's wild to me when it's that off, dude. I think again, I, I'll give the judges a little bit of leeway. Cause they are human. Yeah. Like, all right, cool. And I'll you give know what you else you, you left out too, which just crossed my mind out? They also have to make all these like quick decisions and like- Oh, what? 100%. And once uh, you turn in your 90, paper- 90 seconds. Once you turn in your paper, it's done. Yeah. So they all have like a pad and they, they register. It's like tally marks. Because I've looked over before just because I'm nosy. Uh, <laughs> and they do like tally the marks. Too, yeah, they do uh, tally marks for different strikes. Mm. And then like some in- MMA will do like a circle and they think the takedown landed and they'll have their finger like on the pen and they're like going mid circle. And then the guy gets up and they stop. Oh. So it's like, if you lock the circle, it's a landed takedown. And then when it's a significant strike, you do tally marks and then, and they go through it. So in that 90 seconds, it's not like trying to necessarily remember everything that happened. You just look, they look at their pen and pad and it's like one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three. All right. So he had nine of these. He had 10. If something's like really good, I've seen a, uh, so it's like tally marks uh. and then someone put like kind of an X through one. If like a strike was like, oh, like it was really hard. So he was like, all right, this guy landed 12 strikes. Three of those were vicious. All right. This other guy just landed four. And one of those was vicious. Boom. All right. This guy won the round. So it's, it's one of those, like you grade it in the moment and you just go by what is on the sheet in those 90 seconds. 
So it's not like you're sitting there trying to remember like, man, how did I feel at this moment in two minutes and 20 seconds into it? However you feel in that split second goes on this little tally mark chart. And at the end, you live and die by that chart. So tomorrow you may read it again and be like, damn, I closed that circle on that takedown. And it wasn't really a takedown. But, and you can feel that way three minutes after. I'd be like, well, damn, it was on the paper. And I turned it in. So there's no revision to it. It's such in the moment. I think one thing they have to do to make fans feel better, to make people bet on these sports now, because now it's like there's a lot of money behind this. Yeah. Controlled by three people sometimes. To Dude, hold on. The amount of times that I've had my boys be like, I'm never betting on this shit again. Because it's the only sport of the ones that you can bet on. And sometimes some UFC pay-per-views. I spoke to some dudes that are odds makers out here in Vegas because, you know, I got to be tapped in with those guys. They tell me that a big UFC pay-per-view can generate like a NFL Sunday. And it's so subjective. Yeah. It's not touchdown, but it's extra also, point. Right. It's not, it's not a, uh, it's not a box score really. That is <laughs> like based off like numbers and stats. These are all subjective. Yep. So it's, and you're not getting open scoring. So Which, that was going to be how I wanted to end this conversation. If you, if you agree with that, because I don't know how I feel. I don't need fighters to get open scoring. I don't. And I don't know if you can keep, there's so much things a corner has going on. Yeah. I'm not sure like they could relay this information necessarily or how much it help. But if you want open scoring, I would give it to the people at home. Cause in a basketball game, you know, at the end of the first quarter, what your team has and what your bet has. At the end of the second quarter, halftime, you know what you have. Yeah. As a fan, to be educated, you'd be less shocked at that score and those scores the other night if you knew after round two what exactly the judges had. If you knew after round four what exactly the judges had, and you'd be like, oh, shit, I got a shot. Yeah. Let me not do the dishes right now because I know this is yeah, really yeah, yeah. close. So the, the, the counter that I think some people would make is they flash the live odds, but those are so misleading. It, it, it's Roman not- Delize at the last pay-per-view during the third round was like minus 600, and then he loses the decision. It's like, dude, those are a lot. When it comes to live, live odds that you see flashed at the bottom of a UFC fight, a lot of that is... Kel is clearly fatigued two minutes into round two. Yeah, he 10 aided Nick, but you know, Nick looks as fresh as a daisy and Kel needs yep. a defibrillator. So that's why where Kel should be minus 900, he's minus 180. Exactly. And then when round three starts, Kel now, despite having the 10 8, is probably plus 400 yep. because. That that is different. So if they were to flash the live odds, which they do, I don't think that is exactly what open scoring is. You're saying that the judges should be able to the cards. Us. Like there's someone who collects the cards. Yeah. So if you have a five round fight, it's hard to do it like individually between each round. But if you do it after the second round of a three round fight, if you do it second and fourth of a five round fight, the people watching kind of understand more about how it is being judged. It's less surprising. And the, the overall thing that's, that's best you can do is make the judges accountable. They, they get to pack up, go home, close their little briefcase, walk out the arena, and Dana has to answer for it. The fighters have to answer for it. Dude, and the worst part about it is a lot of times when you give a controversial decision, 
It's like, yo, you're also taking away someone's win bonus, bro. That's it. But why? Just at least tell me why in that moment. You go, and I don't need you to remember all 12 fights you did that night. If you want to put a cap on it, put a cap on it. But if you say, all the judges, you sit down, three of you together. I don't need you individually. I don't need to be in lineup with a little swinging light. Yeah, you're you not going to interrogate interrogation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the three of you sit at the desk, and the media can ask you questions on the final three fights. Or the ones that are getting the yeah, controversy. I, I would even leave it alone and say, if you did something earlier in the night. It is what it is. So be it. But the final three, the big money fights, the one where you could take a title shot away immediately, where someone is, it's one of those life altering things. Stand on it. 15 minutes, all three of y'all. Give us as media 10 questions and answer why you in the middle had this 49 46 and the other two on the sides had it 48 47 the other way or they had it 50 to 45 and you had it 47 46 why what did you two see that you didn't what did you see how does it differentiate let us learn that then answer for it and we don't have that accountability there's, there's no one governing that aspect of things. And I understand we don't ask that in many of the other sports. We don't ask that in football. We don't ask that in basketball. But those aren't objective. Those are, you put the ball in the basket, you get a point. Maybe that foul call is horrendous, but the ball still got to go in the basket. You got to make those two free throws. And MMA is completely objective. Someone can land every punch in the round, and that person scoring it, you're like, nope. If you feel like it, you got to answer to that. And I don't think uh, that's in place yet. That's what has to change. If you have accountability, if you know you got to go stand on that podium, it gives just that little bit more to you. It's like being a doctor. You got malpractice insurance. You're not going to mess up. You pay a ton of malpractice insurance. Like, yo, you're not going to cash it. Like, I got to be a little extra careful. You understand that responsibility. That's what we need from the judges. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, before we get into some uh, NBA stuff, Kel, that I definitely want to talk to you about on some NFL Patreon roll call, shout out to Nick Chavez, Ben, Christopher, Derek, Devin Rendon, Jordan, Mike Wozniak, Thomas Robinson, Abel, and Nick Crummage. Thank you all for your support. Alan, my co-host, is going to be in town this weekend. We are doing a VM People's Podcast, so send us your questions. We'll be in studio. 
We'll answer them for a future episode. Use the hashtag VM People's Pod. Alan is going to be in the studio. With that said, Kel, Kyrie Irving, Dallas Mavericks. There are four and eight since they got him. Your favorite guy. Man, I've been so I've been so outspoken about Kyrie. I think he's the best. The best and the most exciting dude to dribble a basketball that I've seen in my lifetime. I've been watching basketball for about 20 years now. I feel like LeBron is like the start of my NBA love and passion back in 03. I still remember vividly that Kings game on TV. I'll never forget that. So that's when like basketball really started for me. And I think Kyrie is the most talented. With that said, a lot of fuckery follows him everywhere he goes. Everywhere he goes, it ends horribly. He's been on four teams in seven years, and I've made this analogy in the past, uh, mostly for James Harden when he used to be on the Rockets, and I think it applies to Kyrie Irving also, where, dude, it's four teams in seven years. Kel, if I got married and divorced to four different girls in seven years, we're friends. If us two are at the bar and I'm like, man, it ain't working out with Susie again, you'd be like, yo, bro, you know what? It might not be her. It might be you because the common denominator is you and all this. And everywhere Kyrie has gone, it's ended horribly, excluding the COVID stuff. That's a super passionate topic. People get really outraged about that. And, and however you feel about it is how you feel about it. But you've had that. You've had him clearly lie to the Celtics season ticket holders like, yeah, if y'all bring me back, I'll be back. He's out. He left Cleveland horribly. Brooklyn, it was, I'm only playing road games and then I'm not playing because you guys asked me who teams, whose team it is. And uh, me and Durant came here together. It's no one's team. It's our team. It's like, there's always some fuckery going on with him. And now he goes to the Mavericks. And anytime you acquire a superstar, bro, you're going to give up a lot of shit for him. And that's what you're seeing with the Mavericks. They can't get any stops. Last year, they made it to the final four. They went to the Western Conference finals, but now you gave up all your depth. And it's like, yo, Kyrie could, he could bounce at the end of the year, which is wild because I feel like they're souring the relationship with Luka also, if you're the Mavs. How are you, you feeling about the Kyrie stuff? NBA is so weird, right? So, I mean, Kyrie's going to keep getting chances. Because he's talented. Because you're talented. Like, your analogy is spot on. Like, yeah, if you have four divorces in seven years, that looks poor on you. But you're going to have a fifth one, and you'll always get another marriage. If you're hot yeah, or you're rich, yeah, right? Like, so you, that's him. He's, he's the hot girl in the NBA. So it's like, yeah, but he's still hot. Yeah. So it's just like, there's always another team willing to take the gamble. Cause they're going to fall in love with the dribbling and, and how he can do Like he has stretches, bro. It's wild. He's the only guy in the league too, where sometimes I'll watch him and I'll be like, yo, he's not even trying. And then you look up and you got 18 in the first quarter. You're like, what the hell? Where, where did he get 18 from? It comes down to, and I think Cleveland did it best with Kyrie and easy to say when you have LeBron at that level of his career. Right. But they understood what you needed to put around Kyrie more than what you needed to put around LeBron. And Dallas does not have those pieces because you can say what you want, but at that point, LeBron could guard everyone, everyone top to bottom. And was willing to do so if need be. In a pinch, you had other players who could guard. They had length at the shooting guard position. Always. So it's one of those things where it's like Kyrie never had to defend someone of equal talent when it mattered. Because even in these games with Dallas, 
they'll keep it close throughout. Yeah. The game, they're not getting blown out much. Like, you know, when those two play, like, okay, we're getting down to the nitty gritty. They've lost some close games. It's just, you can't stop the positions now in the NBA that you have to stop. That's the one and the two. And what are you doing there? Because Luca's not the type to just be a shut down defender in the last two minutes. Neither is Kyrie. Yeah. So now you got to go a little smaller, which pushes Luca to the three, maybe the four. And any defense you had, you gave up to get Kyrie. So at this point, you have to be very equipped and understand what it takes to have a player like Kyrie Irving, much like Philly with James Harden. Yeah. It's like they gave up a lot to get James Harden, but they knew I have enough defense still that if he scores and he's in shape, we're okay. Right. And it took a long time so far yeah. for them to get there. But I feel like finally, like now, they are there. But they still had those defensive pieces. They had some of the young pieces still there. Where it's like, if we got enough dogs here for him to just do him and just score and shoot and don't worry about the other end. Dallas didn't keep those. And Dallas was like, oh, we're just going to outscore everyone. Yeah, that's cool. Keep you close. In the last two minutes, that's not going to do what you need to do. But in terms of Luka, when you have a star, you got to swing for the fences. So I, I get it. But it's twice now. You got to swing. I mean, Porzingis was unfortunate. Yeah. But you'll show him that no matter what. We're going to try. We're always going to try. It, it worked out for Toronto eventually. Right. Yeah, you know, good they, point. They, they brought in one piece. Giannis, the year he won, they went out and got a piece I think they got pieces like three straight years. Yeah, yeah. But Drew was the big one where people were like, yo, you're giving up three first round picks for Drew. It's like, yo, it worked out. It worked out. Yeah. And it's like, they'll always try. And then now it's like, yeah, because you wanted those first round picks. Yeah, but we'll give up the next three. Yeah. If if Giannis is going to stay, we just need one more piece and put it around. And they're still still rolling. It's the teams that don't try that can kind of give you that trepidation. Uh, I don't want to put like a team on the spot, but Portland. Right. Portland is like, we're going to stay young and they get more pieces, but they're not going out. They haven't gone out at all and made the splash around Dame at all. It's unfortunate. Marcus Aldridge wasn't the same when Dave got there and that could have been great. Uh, you know, him and CJ were great for a second, but if you were going to move CJ, you should have moved him for a bigger piece while you could, you should have gave up him and picks for something better. You know, you could have, they could have went out and put a package together for, Davis, Davis or something yeah, like that's that. That's what I was going to say. It, it's just they never made that move. They chose to ke- keep the pieces. Damon stayed, but you don't get anything like that. You could People criticize the Lakers all they want. A lot of those pieces they gave up for Anthony Davis are really good players. Yeah. The cap they moved are really good players. Randall, best player on his team. You, you look at Ingram, yeah. great player in New Orleans. Like They're trying to build around him. If Zion can stay healthy, he'd be even better. But you, you look at Russell came back. He went off and he was something. It was all worth it because they got the one chip yeah. with Anthony Davis. And they put whatever LeBron wanted around. And guess what? To this day, if LeBron wants more pieces, every year they try. That's the thing that's so fascinating about the NBA. And it's kind of similar to like NFL quarterbacks because if you have one, if you have a Luka, you have a Giannis, your whole objective in the draft is to find someone like that, right? So then those first-round picks are, you're probably not going to be a lottery team if you have a top-five guy in the league. You're most likely not unless that dude goes down, like with Steph Curry, the year that they ended up yep. getting Wiseman after was because Curry went down. I remember, yo, worst 
I did the most bitch-ass move ever in my life, bro. I drafted a fantasy basketball team, Kel, and my first 10 picks, nine of them got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Curry was my second overall. He broke his hand. He was out like eight weeks. And then I just told my buddies, I was like, yo, man, here's the 200 for the league. Let someone else run the team. It was terrible. It was the worst experience of my life playing fantasy. But the reason why I bring up that story is because then the next year, Golden State has a top three pick. And that only happened because... Because Curry got hurt. And they blew that pick. So what was it worth? Exactly. So if you're, if uh, I get what you're saying, when you're the Mavericks and you're, you're taking these swings and you're swinging for the fences and you bring in Porzingis because you think that's going to work, it doesn't work. You swing for the fences with Kyrie. It's not looking like it's working. They're four and eight right now. They, they just got back into the play. And, but this was a team that was fifth when they made this trade. And if you have a piece from a fan standpoint, if you're a fan of the Mavericks, they're like, well, you said, we're trying. They're trying to make an effort. But what happens if it sours the relationship with Luka? I think in the NBA's case, you're always moving money around, right? So, like, that Kyrie contract is big. Yeah. If he walks, that frees up a lot of money. Good point. So, you look at Luka and be like, listen, we're going to keep paying you. But... Now we got 50 we could throw at. Yeah, what people don't understand is unloading the contract sometimes is even better than the rental you get back. Yeah, you see that all the time where you want to make a trade for someone. Well, you got to take this contract. Look at Russ. Yeah. Russ on the Lakers is like, okay, we traded. Russ is making a lot of money. But once he's gone, the Lakers could fit another max if they had to. Yeah. Like if for some reason, you know, someone's like, yeah, I want to go play there, a young point guard. And be like, whoop, they're right back up because that money is now cleared to do so. So Dallas now has that money. They didn't pay Brunson. They got Kyrie to make the numbers work and keep that spot a little bit. But if he walks and it's like, okay, what if Carl Anthony Towns was available? What if, you know, someone of that level and that caliber was like, okay, you're stuck up there. I'm stuck down here because Luca will always be attractive. And when you have that piece, everything else doesn't matter. Like you said, the franchise quarterback. Yeah. When you when you had Tom Brady, figure everything else out. Yeah. Because if we need a big time player, this is where they're gonna want to be. And and Luke is always gonna be that guy as long as he doesn't get hurt or anything else. He has that style even more than Giannis, even more than Jokic. It's where those guys are bigs. They kind of get their own game. And with a point guard, there's there's just something different. When when the ball dominant person, when you count Luke as a small forward or whatever. When someone like that, the LeBrons, when you had D. Wade building, even with the Celtics, Paul Pierce was kind of the guy to build yeah. around. Garnett was like, oh, I'm going to go there. Because it's attractive to be like, that guy is going to get me the ball. You look at Biggs, you be like, yo, I got to go there and give him the ball. Right. Damn, that's a good point. Yeah. They're like, no, I'm going to go there and Luke is going to give me the ball. So if I'm a secondary big, a, a four, someone like that. You, if Dame wants to move, I'll lose Kyrie tomorrow if you told me Dame is going to leave and I could get Dame. And it would just run it again and then try to get another big to come in and facilitate. So there's, there's always that puzzle piece we saw with Donovan Mitchell mm-hmm. and what he's done in Cleveland. They're like, yo, we got a point guard. We have our big and Mobley, but we're going to swing for the fences. On this guy. And there's always someone like that that comes available. 
Always. Oh, dude, the worst thing to do now, I think, if you're a fan, uh, a fan of an NBA team, is to buy someone's jersey. Oh, even if even if they sign a five year contract, two hundred fifty million. It's like, bro, I guarantee you, in eight months, some story's gonna come out. He's gonna bitch and moan about something. He's gonna want to get traded. Like, you, you just look in recent memory. Like Kyrie was a good example. You had AD in New Orleans. Yep. Like he signs, and then he's like, "Yo, I want out." Chris Paul has done it. Durant has done it. Like, yeah, that's the worst thing you could do as a sports fan in the NBA is buy someone's jersey. Because even if you get a megastar to come in, it, it it doesn't take much. It takes a dude, the the Nets, they prior to trading Durant and Kyrie, people forgot they won like 12 games in a row. They were like two seed, three they were, seed. They were the two seed. And then Durant went down, and then all of a sudden Kyrie gets hurt, and then the report comes out that, yo, I want to get traded. And in in 10 days, they they lose the two seed and they lose their two best players. And you're like, holy shit, we were just talking. Dude, I literally had uh, my buddy Josh from uh, American Fan 365. He lives out here in Vegas. He came on the show and I was like, yo, you know what's crazy? Right before Durant went down, I was looking at his, at his MVP odds and it was like 50 to 1. I was like, bro, I feel like he's like the third best guy in the league. Like they're a two seed. Like it's kind of crazy. Those odds are nuts. And I was like, yeah, you know, he's hurt now, so I'm not going to make that bet. But Look out for the Nets. Two days later, trade both of them. I'm like, yeah, I just put the I just put the the magic spell on the Nets. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things in in the NBA where they talk about in Philly for so long was trust the process. Mm. They abandon the process. Yeah, I'm not sure in this current construct of the NBA, you could win by quote unquote doing it the right way. Golden State was probably the last. But yo. They, everyone always brings up Golden State, and it drives me crazy because they got so lucky also because Golden State, as a Knicks fan, I don't know what team you root for in the NBA. I'm devoid of allegiances, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm from New York. All my okay. other teams are New York teams, but okay. growing up, watching Jordan smack the Knicks, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I feel you, bro. <laughs> but like, yo, so the, the age-old thing that everyone points to and NBA redrafts and stuff is like, damn, Curry went right before yep. the Knicks would have got him. And I always try to say, yeah, I'm defending the Knicks a little bit, but it's like, bro, we know how New York is. Even if you're not a Knicks fan, you're from New York. You know how New York media is. 100%. You think people were going to let Curry sit on the sidelines with his ankle history and all his issues and ease his way back? They'd be like, nah, this guy sucks. He's a bust. He's not Trader. out there. And then what was going to happen? The organization would be like, yo, we need you out there, bro. We're getting a lot of heat from the New York Post and the Daily News. And then who knows how those injuries are going to start nagging and nagging yep. and it's going to get worse. And he's never going to get healthy. So he goes to Golden State. They allow him to repair his ankles and he gets the right footing and they don't rush him back. And then they get a blessing in the first contract he gets. It was like a $60 million contract. Yep. When they won that first title and he won MVP, bro, he was the ninth, no, the seventh or eighth most expensive guy on the Warriors. Like yep. David Lee was still on the roster. <laughs> Shout out David Lee, former Nick, Nick Goat. But they got so lucky, and then they get Clay Thompson when they got him. No one yeah. wanted Clay, and then Draymond becomes like the greatest second round pick of all time. And then you go and you get, you get Iggy, you get Barbosa who contributed to them, and you're looking at it like, yeah, everyone wants to be the Warriors and and that system and doing it the right way. But they also got extremely lucky, and I agree with you. You got to be able to like mortgage your future and try to acquire the star on the team that don't want to be there anymore. You, you got to take the risk. You have to. And it's, it's one of those things where now the only team I, I can truly see, because I don't think Memphis is that team. I think the Nuggets are capped out. If they Bro, don't hold win on. You'll this. love this. 
has any team had a bigger heel turn than the Memphis Grizzlies? <laughs> Dude, this time last year, yo, this time I am too. But this time last year, everyone was like, that's the next squad. Everyone's under 25. The darlings. Yeah, they got Ja as the megastar. He's the most popular dude on like TikTok and Instagram. Like all the NBA Twitter goes crazy. Like every time I would see Ja Moran trending, I'm like, yo, who'd he put on a poster? Yep. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, Dylan Brooks is an agitator. No one likes him. He takes shots at everyone. Ja Moran has his off the field issues. And then you have some of these other young guys are like very brash and outspoken. It's like, damn, y'all went from the darling to... NWO heel turn right here. <laughs> yeah, they're the bad boy Pistons of the league right now. Um, no, but you, you look at that and it's just like maybe New Orleans can do it because you need a star that's been injured enough to kind of let you manipulate and maneuver around him. So if Zion gets healthy out of the blue, because it did take Steph three to four years yeah. to actually get healthy. Yeah. Then he signed that deal, which was a little lower because he was injured. And then boom, you took off because you had all those picks. Everyone matured at the same time. And you're rolling, or uh, Oklahoma City, because Oklahoma City now, now you're finding Shy. Shy's great. And your pick from last year is injured the whole year. Mm. He was playing summer league ball or whatever, yeah, Drew yeah, League yeah. with LeBron and breaks his foot. And if for some reason you get Wemby in this draft, now and you, you look also up. have like, what? They have like 28 first round picks. Yeah, like picks it's, it's wild. It's like over 20. I'm not so being sarcastic. If, if you get Wemby in this draft and it's like, well, we have all these picks. We have our three core guys. We don't got to pay them for a second. We're mortgaging the future, but that's how you then have to do it. Cause in the NBA, you don't need more than three guys. Yeah. You get more than like three guys who are like star potential. Then your team is just out of whack. So you get your three guys. If they stay healthy, you mortgage your future, you get good picks around them and you let them roll. Celtics did that. Mm. Celtics got their two guys. I was like, all right, we could bring in a veteran here, a veteran there. We can swing for Kyrie. Guess what? We breaked on Kyrie. Didn't even matter because we have our guys. And now they're in position. If someone came a free agent, they could swing again. Yeah. Because their roster is perfectly constructed that, okay, we got gel pieces here and there. We could pay our two guys if, you know, Brown wants to stay. If they don't want to keep training him. But they almost had to trade him because they were swinging for the fences. Right. So it's one of those things. They have the pieces. They have the payroll. To do that. So you look at teams like this, like even then, man, it's you're not going to see another team that doesn't do a big time trade or try to bring in a big time piece to win that championship. It, you're not going to see that. Now it's so dependent on that in the NBA. How Golden State adds you. They they brought in Kevin Durant. Yeah. They which, lost which, one finals and was like, nope. Which again goes back to what I said before, how they got really lucky because they didn't have to pay. They wouldn't have been able to get the rant if they were paying Curry what he was worth. No. In 2017, uh, which bird he was, rights are a crazy thing, but sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But still, like that you were able to get a $40 million player and yeah. you replace Harrison Barnes breaking threes in game yep. seven, going one for twelve with the best big shooter of all time. Of course that's what was gonna happen. And and you're right, man. You need a lot of things to go your way. And I want to end the conversation because we're talking about like franchise pieces and the most the most uh, lusted out position, I think, in professional sports is the quarterback. And we're yes. talking about teams being ready to win. The Lamar Jackson stuff, bro, I've been harping on this since since July and August of last year when Kyler Murray got paid when Deshaun Watson got paid, when all his peers were getting the bag, Josh Allen got paid a little bit before them too. 
Everybody got paid. And then the Ravens were like, ah, we'll figure it out with Lamar. And they're like, all right, yeah, look, I trust the, the Ravens are, you know, it's like Ravens, Steelers, uh, Patriots, uh, class organizations. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? They're, they take care of their own. They'll figure it out. I trust them. If this was the, the Raiders saying it, I'd be like, oh, that's not going to end well, right? But then you go into the season, no, no contract extension for Lamar. You go into October, nothing for Lamar. Then Lamar gets hurt, and it's like, oh, this is why we don't want It's like, bro, that's all BS to me. This dude has literally delivered in every aspect, in my opinion. He, it, all the guys that he's peered with, Justin Herbert, who uh, I stand for Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow probably might have surpassed him a little bit, but Josh Allen, he's more accomplished than Josh Allen. He's one more, he's played less games. He has a higher winning percentage than everyone in the NFL since he came into the NFL, with the exception of Brady and Mahomes. Sorry, the two goats, <laughs> right? The number one guy right now in the league. He's not better than him, and then he's not better than the greatest of all time. So spare me with that BS. But you look at He's, he's better than Kyler Murray. He's won an MVP. He makes the playoffs every year that he doesn't get hurt. Does he get hurt? Yeah, but like, bro, that's a part of his greatness too. Like, I'm not going to suppress you being great and telling you, like, yo, you can't run. This is why you're the elite quarterback you are because we want you to run. You're the most difficult dude in the NFL to prepare for because when he's on, he's on. And the organization has failed him too because, like, who's been his best wide receiver? Hollywood Brown that they traded for a third-round pick? That's the key. And you're not, you're not doing right by him, not just because of the contract, but the weapons that you're surrounding him with. Like, yeah, Mark Andrews is a great tight end. It's also a tight end, bro. Like, you have to be able to have pieces around him to open it up for him. And to me, it's so wild. I've been saying this whole year, I'm like, yo, if I was Lamar, and I know it's easier said than done, I'd spite the Ravens. Be like, yo, I ain't playing for y'all no more. Go, go in there with Huntley. I think the Ravens say we've changed our offense, and that was their, their biggest mistake. Um, the perception that Lamar can't run an NFL offense is false. Bobby Petrino at Louisville was an incredible coach. That's a pro-style offense. Yeah. His entire time, everywhere he's been, pro-style offense. And Lamar won a Heisman, not just running, but passing. They recruited great receivers around him that year. They all hit, they, I believe half of them came from like his high school. In Florida, like they recruit the area heavy. All those receivers are really good. He threw the rock as well, if not better than he ran it the year he won the Heisman. Mm. So people are like, well, he can't throw or they got to put this running system. No, no, no. They chose the running system for him. The injuries are kind of a, a result of that because he can throw if you gave him weapons. You decided to put investments on the O-line, investments in the backfield, in running backs, you told him to run. They went double tight ends because uh, Mark Andrews drafted the second. He was mm. second tight end. That year they drafted Hayden Hurst in yeah. the first round. And then Andrews in the second with one or two second round picks. They built that offense specifically to do this. And you put your quarterback at risk. He can throw. Yeah. He, he, coming into the league, he threw better than Josh Allen. They fixed Josh Allen. Congrats. But accuracy-wise, he wasn't worse passer than Josh Allen. Just did it differently. The man can throw. I'm, I'm eager to see him with a number one receiver with something. I understand requesting the trade. I understand the Ravens that say, listen, we're an organization built off defense and this coach. We'll do it again. 
because we've done it before without quarterbacks. When you do something a certain way, it's like, well, they didn't invest highly in him. Yeah. He slipped. They traded up. People act like he was a top 10 pick. They don't invest in that position. We're surprised because we see what he's done, the MVP award. Ravens are just being the Ravens. They didn't invest highly in him. They never invested around him. That's not them. If he's going to come back, he's going to come back what fits our model for our pay range for this position, and then that's what it's going to be. Or they'll be cool with Huntley. Yeah. They'll be cool getting two first-round picks, flipping that, getting the next quarterback that falls. They'll trust, they'll, they'll take, uh, what was that, Hooker from Tennessee? Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Trade Lamar tomorrow. They'll take Hooker and be like, well, this is our guy. Yeah. Huntley, you start for a couple games. Hooker will be our future. Give us all the picks. We're going to keep building how we build. The Ravens have never changed. We've changed our perception of them. When was the last time they paid a quarterback? In general, since they moved to Baltimore. We're, we're acting like there's something they're not. Yeah, and also, like, when you look at the landscape of the receivers that they've ever had, like, who's been the best receiver they had? Anquan Bolden, which they acquired. But didn't give a second contract to. Didn't give a second contract to. Tail end of Steve Smith, which, you know, this guy also tore his Achilles. It's like, yo, you never really invested in and when I think of the Ravens, I think of defense and running the ball. And that's what they've tried to do with Lamar. And then Lamar with, like, Willie Sneed and Hollywood Brown is winning an MVP. It's like, yo, you're doing him a disservice by doing that. This guy has, and the thing that's wild and why Lamar is pissed off, and rightfully so, is, yeah, we all know he doesn't have an agent. And sometimes, bro, like, you need to have an agent because... <laughs> You got to be able to have someone tell other people yeah. to fuck off. Yeah. Sometimes right? it's okay to pay somebody a little bit of money. Yeah. It's all right. Because yeah, they got to keep it all. They got to be the ones to speak on your behalf and be like, yo, you know what, man? Kel, you love bowling, my guy. We ain't taking that one. Yeah. No, we want 50 million. You, you can't go and say that because then if you end up there, you know, is your you organization. You get a different level of respect. Yeah. Like just, it's okay. Doubt. Sometimes you need age. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes you need a manager. Sometimes you just reach that level of success. But listen, he wants to do it himself. I would be okay if, like, for some reason he named his moms, like, the manager, his agent, or whatever it may be. Like, just, it's hard when it's you. Yeah. So that, that I get. But I'm not surprised no team has come out and paid the money because, one, there's no reason to do that before the draft. Because after you get Lamar, your worst pick is going to be 20? Right. 21? Yeah. So if I'm drafting this year at four, Seven, eight. I'm not giving you any of those. No, you're bugging. I will wait until the day after the draft. He will still be on this franchise tag. I will negotiate with him, and you will get my future first two rounders, which is going to be like pick 26 and pick 29. And I'm going to draft the last missing piece that I need to make him great. Right now, if I'm Atlanta, I look at the draft, and people like pass rusher, all this stuff. I'm like, yo, who's the best receiver? Right now. And I'll be like, okay, uh, give me the kid from TCU. Works a little in the slot. He's big. He's 6'4". All right. Yeah, we have other holes. I'll figure that out later in the draft. Give me him. Everybody else on a rookie deal. Mm -hmm. Everyone. Cool. Give me him. We have London. We have Pitts at tight end. We re-sign the left tackle. Day after the draft. Round two. Day after the first. Round two. All right, Lamar. Here's the deal. How much you want guaranteed? Let's do it. 
because I don't got to pay London and Pitts for this long. I'll give you whatever you want, three years guaranteed. Because I don't got to pay nobody before then. All right, you want 150 mil guaranteed, 50 a year, or 50 a year, and then let's do five years. So 250, speed, spitball. 250 for five years, 150 guaranteed. If we get to the other years, we get there. Yeah. But you're above market. Yeah. I ain't paying nobody else. And when you're, and when you're, a, court, and when you're, you're a quarterback, you, you're probably the only position in the NFL where you kind of outlive your contract. Right? Yeah. Like you're, you're, if, you, if you sign five for 250 and 150 is guaranteed, chances are, unless you completely shit the bed, you're going to play out that contract. You're probably going to renegotiate after like year two yeah. and be like, after all right, four, here comes we're another. Yeah, we're after year it three, we're ripping yeah. it up. Here comes an extension. Now I want another 200 mil. Cool. More guaranteed, more yeah. guaranteed. We saw the same thing with Daniel Jones. Yep. That's a two and a half year deal. Yeah. But if he plays his capability. Yeah, it'll be worth the, it. the 160. We ripping it up. He's yeah. going to start over again. We're going to give him even more money. So that's, that's fine. Or we see quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes. are like, ah. Uh, we can rip this up after year three. I'll take a little less. He has so many outs in his. Yeah. Tom did it every two years. Now we're ripping this up. Give me a signing bonus. Yeah. Now put the money that, in my pocket. Loophole. And but, then we'll, we'll keep going to make the team better. But the thing with Mahomes and Brady is that they went out and they acquired pieces to entice them both to be like, yeah, always. Yo, it'd be dope for you to take some less money because here comes Randy Moss. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wes Welker also? Dope. Dante Stallworth? Cool. But if, if you're Lamar now and they're telling you, yo, we want to pay you $30 million, all right, are you getting me D-Hop? Are we trading for D-Hop? Are you, are you going to try to, you know, hypothetically speaking, are you going to get me Devontae? Yep. Yeah, I might be more inclined because I'm also a quarterback, so my money's big money. Yep. And like we were just talking about before, I'm probably going to play out my contract anyway. So... It's wild, man. It's wild. It's like, what more do you need this dude to do? I don't know. He's, he's, he makes the playoffs. Bro, they were the one seed in 2021 when he got hurt. Yep. And then they lost five straight. So they didn't. that's when, uh, who was it? Who was that team? The Titans were the one seed. It was yep. like, worst one seed ever. Right? They were tied for the second seed this year when he got hurt. Yeah. They were on a roll. Like, he doesn't lose. Again, if I'm he's Atlanta. He's won 70% of his games, and he's won an MVP. <laughs> and he's a, let's also talk about this, too. He ain't Deshaun Watson, the off-the-field stuff. No. He's a class citizen. Like, there's no, there's no sketchiness around him. There's nothing crazy. He, he addresses the media. He had that video that went viral with the kid that had autism yep. that wanted to meet him, and he was hugging him and all that. And like, they've given Deshaun everything. Right. And it's like, bro, what do you want this guy to do? Like, he was an MVP. He's more accomplished. He's <laughs> younger. Like, dude, what? It, face of your franchise. It's, it's, it's so, it's so you, crazy. The NFL. He's the most underappreciated quarterback of, of this era. Oh, that's tough. What I mean by win. this era, I, I mean like in the last decade, <sighs> I can't think of anyone that's gotten more heat and has been as good as he has. You, you have to ask the tough question of what do people in charge still want their quarterback to look like? And it's not just, it, it was being a black quarterback, right? It's not just that now. It's, okay, Josh Allen came in as a runner. Runs a little bit. They stopped that. Mm. Like, they gave him the receiver. They brought all this in. That's not what he's known for. They, they stopped that quick. DJ was a runner for us last year with the Giants. They're going to stop that. Yeah. 
What do they want a quarterback to look like? At this point, kudos to NFL. They're, they're getting a lot of quarterbacks. Like the quarterback diversity is great for the first time in like NFL history. The style of play has not really changed. They want you to still fit a mold. The mold is just, we want you to have the cannon arm, to do all this stuff, and have just enough mobility. Just enough. Herbert's great. Cannon arm, slinging around the yard. Got enough mobility. Yeah, yeah, Just enough to escape. Well, that was the thing, to, to go back to Daniel Jones, the thing that I always loved about Daniel Jones is that he's a 2020 NFL quarterback in the sense of, all right, he has his flaws, but it's third and eight. He could pick it up on the ground. Yeah. Like the days of the Tom Brady, just pure pocket Peyton Manning passer. Like, nah, bro, you got to be able to be mobile. Like, that's what the game is now. Joe Burrow got a little giddy up. Yeah. Like Joe, Joe surprised you. Joe will rip off for 20 if you let him. Like everyone, they, but if that is your game, you look at Chicago. People are like, hey, trade for a different quarterback. Trade fields. Why? Because he's just running. Mm. Like, there's no weapons. Right. If he had weapons, they're going to transform him. You can't hit the QB anymore like he used to. Yeah, and also now, now, now he got DJ Moore. Yeah, so it's one of those things where do you fit what they want in a quarterback? Because the unfortunate truth of it is, is that points equal money. The rules suggest so. The, the Chiefs are great. I've lived in Kansas City. I've done sports radio there. That is not an incredible market. <laughs> Trust. Like, if there was some type of conspiracy theory in the NFL, they would not have put Patrick Mahomes there. But since he is there... Now it becomes... It's huge, and there's a lot of money there. You know why? Because they score a lot of points. Yeah. A lot. And you don't, and it's just the nature of it, you do not score that many points running the football. You don't. Lamar is amazing. How much financially... Has he made to offset that contract with the Ravens? What are they still known for? Because when you score that many points, is he selling as many jerseys as Mahomes? As Burrow. You mentioned these guys who might have surpassed him. But numerically, they haven't. In terms of perception, maybe. Josh Allen, perception. Yeah. The more you throw, the more yards, the more points, the bigger the perception. High-powered the offense. Money, yeah, yeah, yeah. The more fun. The more people want to come pay to see you. When you run, it ain't, it ain't that. So not only do people want their quarterbacks to be good, you have to be good in a certain way. If you're not throwing the ball around the yard a million times, you're, you're not it. Like, and, and you're replaceable. But and you that's just you what it think, is. You don't think Lamar, though, is a big attraction at the quarterback position? Because I feel like he does... He's the most unique player to play that position right now in the league. Because I, of the running, I think that's what also makes him exciting. And no. he could throw. No, he can. Because, again, if he, it's like, bro, I always, it's, it's, it's like the, and I harp on this all the time, it's the strongest take I have. I'm like, yo, if there's anything you take away from me when it comes to football, it's this. If you're a young quarterback, I can't have you throwing to jobbers. Yeah. I need you to, <laughs> dude. You mentioned Josh Allen, right? What did Buffalo go and do? They got him a real top five wide receiver. Immediately. And it changed the entire perception and reputation of Josh Allen. What did Arizona do with Kyler Murray? Yeah. They tried. Well, yeah, but they, they tried and it was working with D Hop. 
It's like, yo, every team, you think Justin Herbert would be as good as he is now if he didn't have Keenan and Mike Williams and if, if Burrow didn't come in to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins? It's like, yo, you have a young quarterback. I loved what Miami did. They signed Tyreek Hill. They spent the first round pick on Jalen Waddle. It's like, oh, bro, this so is what smart. you got to do. You got to give this guy a chance. I also love what Chicago did. And look, Justin Fields might be off the team next year. Yeah. But now you could properly evaluate. And I don't feel like they've done that with Lamar. I will go through 2021. So week one, 27-33 lost to the Raiders. High scoring. Uh, this is his fully healthy year. Chiefs, 36-35 win. Two high scoring games. That's great. Next week, 1917 Lions, 23-7 Broncos. Um, these are all wins, by the way. 31-25 Colts, 34-6-17-41. The games they win they score big, they win by three. The games where they score small, they win by three. Like it's one of those things where it's like. Lamar is great, but the perception of the team isn't as great as he is as a quarterback. But I also think us as fans, like I said before, when I think there are certain organizations that when I think of them, I think of a certain style of football. Baltimore, great defenses, running game. Steelers, great defenses, running game. And yeah, you have those exceptions where like, yo, they had Juju and AB and Big yeah. Ben was slinging that shit all over the place and Le'Veon out the backfield. Yeah, those are exceptions. Miami, when I think of Miami, I think of soft and finesse. Yep. Chargers, the same thing. I think of just always, like even with Phillip Rivers, like, bro, I've won so many fantasy football championships. I take Phillip Rivers in like the 14th round. It's like, bro, <laughs> 25 touchdowns, 4,000 yards. Easy. You guys are taking quarterbacks in like the third or fourth round. It's like, he's putting up, but they were a finesse. They were a finesse team. The LA Rams, when they, when they got Stafford, it's like, yo, this is a finesse high-powered offense, and then, yeah, they have Aaron Donald, but like you weren't really afraid of the, the Rams' defense, but there are these teams where you think of them and they have that reputation to them. Like, bro, we're Giants fans. In, in our minds, when we think of the New York Giants, we think elite defensive linemen yep. and ground and pound. Like, that's what the nature of those teams are. And are and, you happy with the contract DJ just got? I would have preferred a franchise tag. All right, which is more up front. More up front because I think Brian Dable is everything we make him out to be. Sure. And if you franchise him and he has another good year, you're like, all right, you know what? Let's eliminate those first couple of years without Dable. Dable's going to be here now. He's worth $40 million. I then ask you if, say we made the playoffs or we lost to round one, but DJ went out and had 35 passing touchdowns, six rushing, 4,500 yards passing. I think those are like Herbert numbers or Burrow numbers. Or yeah. Uh, Lawrence was up there. They, you know, some of the teams that struggled or lost early. So when you look at that, he puts up that stat line. Do we then, are you okay with giving him 40 in the extension? And they lost the playoff game, you're we saying? We lost the playoff game to the Vikings, but, but his, his numbers, numbers were, were 35 Passing, six rushing, 4,500 yards. Yeah. That is my point with Lamar. The way you do it justifies the money. The more passing stats, the more points, the more touchdowns justifies a $40 million long-term contract. Mm. DJ won. He run the, ran the ball 
stayed healthy, won, went a round deeper in the playoff than I just gave you. And I say, can we still give him 40? You said, no, give him another prove it year. That's what they're telling Lamar. The way you do it and running is harder to sell. And the Giants didn't sell you on it. Yeah, I like, I like what you did there. I really do. However, I don't think it's as fair for Lamar. And I feel like you would agree with it. 100%. Because we've seen him do it longer where the Dable thing was a real thing. Like, I felt like Dable was going to come in. And, and I've made the case with a lot of people because I went to school in Buffalo. I went yeah. to Buffalo for a couple of years. And uh, I got a lot of friends that are Bills fans. And I'm like, yo. Your boy didn't play as well as he has the last couple of years, right? He still was, I think he finished like six in the MVP vote. But he wasn't. He but wasn't he wasn't, the, he same. wasn't yeah. the same. I'm like, yo, you know, we got that yeah. guy now, right? Especially late. Especially late, late on. Late is where, like, later in games, yeah. the decision-making got a little funny. Oh, dude, he hit like a six-week stretch where he had a turnover in the red zone every, every, week. every yeah. week. That's Dayball. Dayball is that guy. So that's the thing where now with Dayball, he was able to change Daniel Jones in just one year. So I would have preferred the franchise tag, but then, you know, the quarterback, it, the quarterback market every year goes up. Right. Yeah. So maybe if we would have franchised them the next year, maybe it's 50 a year. Yeah. And you're saying, yo, bro, we should have gave him 40. And it's that, it's that same thing though. The yeah. scenario I gave you was off of one year, one year. Yeah. Nothing changed, but the stats and, and that's to, and that's to everyone. That's to the casual fan. How do you do it? Putting up passing yards, putting up big numbers and numbers through the air justifies the money because you're going to get that buy-in from the fan base. You're going to get the return on your investment. The question isn't, can Lamar play? There's only one quarterback can win the Super Bowl every year. Can he win you that? Sure. The years that he doesn't, can you get the return on investment? Is he excited enough to say, Yo, people are coming out to spend money on you. And that style of play right now does not get paid like that because running the ball, you score less, time goes off faster, and it's not as sexy. It's not. Even if it's MVP year, people like he's a, they called him running quarterback up until like week six of that MVP year. Then he's been hurt twice. So it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, the perception of it, of people spending money they rather spend money on Mahomes, on Burrow, on people throwing it around the yard, regardless of how it turns out, win or loss, than a guy who runs the ball, you play defense, you get anyone to do that. So they need to see the return on investment. Now, they didn't help by getting no receivers to get that return on investment, just like Daniel Jones. But it, that's, that's the key. The comfort level of giving out that money, now in the NFL, depends on the style your quarterback plays. And that's where people get drafted to when people slip. And Josh slipped. Yeah. He's better than everyone ahead of him. He was a runner. Now he's great because they made him a passer. Lamar slipped. He had a Heisman. Proved more than everyone in that draft. He slipped because he was a runner. Richardson's not going top this year. I don't know what he's going to be. But he'll slip. Because you're a runner. If you can... Be made into a passer, they'll champion you later. Yeah. But not until then. Field slipped. Giants traded out Chicago. They have a perception of how they want the quarterback to play to justify the value, whether it's in the draft or the contract. 
If you don't fit that, you're battling uphill battle. And that's what Lamar is. Until he slings the ball around more than he runs it, and they open it up and prove it. I tell you what Baltimore did do. They went out and got a different coordinator. Yeah. Because they're like, we're going to pay you all that money? You better come in here and prove yeah, we need, we that need you 40. can sling it. We need 40 through the air. That's it. Yeah. Because they know the investment is only there for that. Yeah, I'm going to do homework on that take, man, because I like it. I never heard it broken down that way. And it's true. The more you think about it, like as you're rattling off what the team is looking for and the perception, I'm thinking about the quarterbacks that fit that. Burrow, Herbert, Allen, Mahomes. Hell, I'd even throw Dak in there. Yep. Dak does it too. Dak the, was in the with, third. With the he was a runner yeah. out of Texas A&M. Jalen Hurts this year. Second round. He was yeah. a runner in yeah. college. You prove you can sling it around. Hey, that's a, that a good contract. Yep. Jalen's going to break the bank. Everyone's fine with that. Last year, they didn't know if he was going to be the quarterback. Yep. But what did they do also? Got him some receivers. Got him he some receivers. That's what I'm saying. Now, give him as much money as he wants. The perception of how they want you to play matters. He couldn't have, I don't care if he got to Super Bowl this year. If he just ran and did everything like he did last year, he's not worth the money. You can plug anyone in. They would have wanted to move on, get one of these young kids. They have two draft picks. They'll be like, nope, replace him. Let's get cheaper. Let's keep going. San Fran's going to replace their guy every year. Yeah. Till they find someone who slings the ball around and gets that, and then they will pay. That's the only way to make your money. Banger of an episode, bro. I love the topics that we covered. I love the energy. And like I said, that take, that's a strong take. I, ne I never thought of it from that perspective. And I wonder how it's going to play out because I think he's a hell of a talent. I think he's a top, top 10 quarterback. I think it's a lock where you want to place him in the top 10. I wouldn't, you know, be opposed to it. Everyone has their own preference. Yeah. But it's going to be interesting, dude. It's going to be interesting because that's a really big storyline. Stay away from the NFC. Yeah. Because you'll automatically be the best QB in the <laughs> yeah, NFC. Yeah, yeah, Stay away. Sure. <laughs> hey, Kel, as we wrap up, man, thank you for your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Tell the people a little bit about the corner and then where they can find you on social. Of course. So every week, myself, my co-host, Andreas Hill, we have the Corner Podcast. Three different episodes, one boxing, one MMA, one pro wrestling. So any area of combat sports that you're interested in every week, you come hear us talk about it. This week, actually, uh, we're a little bit busy with WrestleMania. So it's a lot, of, a lot of wrestling. But every other week, tune in for your favorite combat sport. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts under The Corner Podcast on Twitter at CornerPod underscore on Instagram, Corner Club for Life. Man, it's amazing to be here. You can follow myself, by the way, at Kel Dansby on all platforms. Anytime you need me, you let me know. But it was it was great. I always love talking every sport. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. Like I said, guys, I'm a fan of his work. I love his content. I sit in on a lot of those conversations. And you can find me at Nick Dayas 10 on social media and veteransminimum.com. And we'll catch you guys next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done.